0: thank you brother terry thank you choir praise team and thank all of you who took part in worship today and i pray the lord was satisfied and received our worship If you brought your bibles please turn to ephesians chapter four ephesians chapter four we'll be looking at verses one through six ephesians chapter four and we'll look at verses one through six i'm going to share a sermon with you this morning a biblical church member is a unifying church member a biblical church member is a unifying church member Ephesians chapter 4 let's look at this together verse 1 I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called with all lowness and meekness with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and the Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all this morning i want us to return to our sermon series on what is a biblical church member what is a biblical church member we're living in a period of time where there is a dramatic decline in the church dramatic decline in the attendance in every area of the church decline in evangelism reflected in our baptisms decline in our stewardship decline declined uh, showing in our ministry and also in our serving. Tom Rayner in his book, I Am a Church Member, suggests that a major reason for the decline of the church today is that many church members have lost the biblical understanding of what it means to be a church member. We've lost understanding of what it really means, the biblical understanding of what it means to be a member of a local body of believers a church therefore in the past weeks we've looked at what the bible says about a biblical church member people have ideas about what a church member is but what does the bible say that a church member should be what should a church member be first of all we discovered a biblical church member is a connected member Uh, they 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 um uh, they have been connected with God through the new birth, through salvation, through being redeemed, through being saved. They have a connection with God. And then godly, uh, God has divinely placed them in a local congregation. So they have a connection with other believers. So they have a vertical connection with God. They have a horizontal connection with other believers. So a biblical church member is one that is connected, connected to God, connected with other believers through the local church. And then secondly, a biblical church member refuses to give place to the devil. We found this in Ephesians 4, verse 27, when the Bible says, neither give place to the devil. And because of some strongholds in our lives, whether it be lying or thievery, whether it would be anger or bitterness, those are some strongholds that we use to give place to the devil in our life. So a biblical church member strives not to give a place in their heart, in their life, to the devil. Nor do they grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 30 says, "...grieve not the Holy Spirit of God." And so a biblical church member is connected to God, fellow believers. A biblical church member refuses and strives to not to give place to the devil. And then last week we looked at a biblical church member as a functioning church member. So we're all members. If you've been saved, you're members of the body of Christ. You're members of a local congregation. We're to function in ministry. We're to function just like our arms and eyes and ears, our nose, our, our feet, our hands, our fingers, our feet, and the physical body functions. Uh, we're to function in the body of Christ. So that's what a biblical church member uh, is to do, that we're to function. So today we want to look at Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. And we need to look at this and see that a biblical church member is a unifying church member. A biblical church member is a unifying church member. Now, all of us are aware that there are a number of evangelical congregations. There are a lot of churches, all different denominations. Then there are a lot of non-denominational churches. The fastest growing uh, church today are non-denominational churches. That's another sermon for a later time. But you have evangelical churches, a number of other churches, uh, a number of other non-denominational evangelical churches. However, the sad thing is that many of these have developed because members of one church could not get along, and so they went out and formed another church. Uh in layman's term is that they split and they formed another church for the basic reason they just couldn't get along now that's a shame and disgrace to be honest with you i say that's a shame and disgrace to be honest with you Uh, thank you that was a good place to say amen Uh, had me concerned there if you didn't think it was a place to say amen I read a story recently, a story told about a church in Mayfield, Kentucky in 1800, where two deacons, they just hated and they opposed each other. And on one particular Sunday, one deacon put up a a small wooden peg, a small wooden peg, small wooden peg, in the back of the church for the minister to hang his hat on. Well, when the other deacon found out about it, He was just outraged because he wasn't consulted. So the church took sides. And they split. And a new church was formed there in Mayfield, Kentucky. The departing group called themselves the Anti-Peg Baptist Church. (laughs) True story. Now... Speaking of pegs and hooks, I was informed this morning that someone has put some hooks and pegs in the ladies' restroom, (laughs) which is fine with me, but uh, if you're not fine with that, talk with Jim Tauff and Bobby Guthrie, if you will. (laughs) Uh, Jim's in the back, Bobby's already run out, he's in the foyer out there. (laughs) I thought, how ironic. Tell this illustration, look what happened. But I asked them to, and they did a good job. Now, according to, back to uh, being unified, according to the standard dictionary, unity is the state of being one. It's the state of being one, therefore implies a fundamental oneness. State of being one. So unity is a state of being one. It implies a fundamental oneness. I've got to tell you about this. I I heard about a person going on a safari to Africa. And prior to crossing the river, he he saw this teeny pygmy standing beside this huge dinosaur. uh, uh, Rhinoceros, not dinosaur. (laughs) Rhinoceros. (laughs) Excuse me, Justin. A, huge rhinoceros. <laughs> so, so this person had his driver to pull over, and he asked this tiny pygmy. He said, uh, "Did you kill that rhinoceros?" And he said, "Yes, I did." And he said, "So, how did a tiny pygmy kill this rhino?" And he said, "With well, my club." And he said, "Well, how big is your club?" And he said, well, about 150 members. (laughs) Now, now I'm bringing this, Justin. The point is, they came together as one, unified in purpose and mission and vision, and they were able to do the impossible. Unified. Being one. And that's God's purpose for the church. It's for purpose of Mountain View Baptist Church for us to come together, not so much as a group, but as one, being unified in vision, purpose, and mission, the great Commission. Now, Jesus had something to say about unification in John chapter 17. If you would, look at that just for a moment. It should be on your screen. John 17, listen to verse 21. Jesus is, Jesus is speaking, "...that they all may be one." As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I will give to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. Now look, if you would, back at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. He begins there in verse 4, again with this unity. He begins by saying, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation which you are called. Now I just put a parenthesis around beseech and worthy and vocation and called. He said, I beseech you. That word beseech means I beg, I plead with you, I I implore you. He says, I implore you that you walk worthy of your call. And you use the word walk. I, I implore you, I beg of you, plead with you that you walk, that you walk. So the word walk there means more than just taking steps. But the word walk there means your conduct in life the way you live, the way you behave yourself. I beseech you, I beg of you, plead with you that you behave yourself, that your behavior would be, that you would order your conduct, that you would order your behavior, that you'd order your walk worthy. And that word worthy means something that has weight. It has weight. Worthy is weighing as much as another thing. It's it's worthy. I beseech you that you walk worthy of your call. Literally, let the Christian life that you live weigh as much as your profession of Christianity that you make. In other words, in, in other words, practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. I was listening to. Uh, to the radio the other day and the song came up rachel and bill Good's song i think y'all might have sung it the the trio but it, it it talks about your walk and your talk and the chorus goes this way your your talk talks and your walk walks but your talk but your walk talks louder than your talk talks let me say that again your talk talks and your walk walks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. It don't matter how much you talk, it's how you walk. And that's what Paul—that's he's saying here. He said, listen, you need to be worthy. You need to, I plead with you, be worthy of your call. Let your walk match your talk. Live your life, behave your life, let your walk match your talk, walk worthy of your calling. And how do you do that? He says in verse 2, notice, with all lowliness, this deep sense of smallness, this no pride in your life. Be, be a lo- Jesus said, take, take, take come to me and, and, and I'll make your burden light. You know, he, he wants to take our burdens and he says, I'm meek and lowly at heart he was a lowly person he he says listen as a christian we need to in verse two he says with all lowness and meekness meekness means uh when when we temper our spirit before god and before man with long suffering and and bearing one another long suffering when we're injured in spirit don't be provoked don't don't blaze out in anger all of a sudden he says there in verse 1, I beseech you that you walk worthy of your vocation where when you're called with all lowness and meekness and long suffering. And then he says forbearing. We need to be forbearing of one another. That's what he says. Forbearing one another in love. To hold up. Forbearing. To hold up. To endure. Notice we're to forbear one another in love. Sometimes people become overbearing. We're to be forbearing. Do do I ever become overbearing to any of you? I don't know about this. He says, the Bible says we're to forbear each other. We're to hold up under. So we, what are we to do? We're to order our lives to match our profession We're to walk in lowness and longsuffering and forbearing, enduring to keep unity in love. Because why? A biblical church member has a responsibility to be a unifying church member. You're never to be a a divisive force in the body of Christ. You're to love our fellow church members unconditionally. I mentioned that last week. It doesn't mean you, we always agree, but it means that you're willing to sacrifice your own preference in order to keep unity in the church. Frances won't mind me sharing this with you, but her father, Frank Messer, Frank has long been with the Lord, but he was, um, he was frank in what he said. I always knew where Frank stood. He, he voiced his opinion in a kind way, but you knew where Frank stood. And he would share his opinion and his desire, and then he would say this, whatever the church does is fine with me. And he'd be for it 100%. So when we seek unity, we seek it in love. Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verse 14 says this. Verse 14, and above all these things, put on charity, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. The point is unity is really important to the church. And so are you doing your part when it comes to unity in the body of Christ? So a biblical church member is a unifying church member. A biblical church member, and being a unifying church member, will do a couple of things, and I wanted to, to mention these. First of all, a biblical church member will refrain from gossip and negative talk. If you are a unifying church member, you will refrain from gossip and negative talk. Romans chapter 1, look at Romans chapter 1, and I want to share Romans 1, and we'll look at verse 29 through... Uh, 29 through 31. Romans 1, 29 through 31. He says, been filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, i.e., gossipers, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Without understanding, covenant breakers. Without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Notice what he said in verse uh, 29. He he called them whisperers. He called them backbiters. In essence, he's saying gossipers. Gossipers. So right in the middle, you have this evil deed of gossipers. Gossip, rumors, private information. The point is, gossip is bad and destructive for a church. Gossip can change. Take a unified church that's powerful in vision and mission, and they can, gossip can tear it apart and render it uh, powerless and still unpowerful. I read of a Christian organization that prohibits gossip within the organization. And they say that an employee has to go to an employee if they have a problem. And then if they can't resolve that problem, they go to the supervisor in order to resolve that problem. Gossip is not tolerated. It can cost you your job in this organization. Now, why is that? Because gossip tears down the unity of the organization. Same way it does in church. James chapter 3, verse 6. James just, he tells us, he, he says that the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, it setteth on fire the course of nature, and it's set on fire of hell. It defiles the entire body. Be careful with your tongue. Now, the question is, how do you respond to gossip in the church? You have gossip in the church. Well, first of all, don't be a, sur- don't be a source of gossip. Uh, don't, you know, don't, uh, don't mention it. Keep your tongue uh, free from gossip. If someone begins to share, just kind of rebuke that person in a kind way, in a polite way. Say, I don't want to hear any gossip. And by doing that, you'll be a unifier in the church. You can be a unifier in your church with just those simple words. I, don't, I really don't want to hear that. And if a few more would do that, word would get out and, and gossip. Word would get out that gossip is something that we don't tolerate, we really don't like to hear. And you can see that the church would continue to be full of joy and be full of unity. If you, if you want to, 1 Peter 3, verse 10 is a kind of a, a verse, says, For he that will love life see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. If you want to love life, see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips that speak no guile. And so love life, see good days, control your tongue, stop the gossip, and be a unified church member. So a biblical church member is a unifying church member, don't tolerate gossip. And secondly, and I'm about finished, practice forgiveness. Years ago, when I was a, a young preacher, I learned real quick that if I was going to be able to pray and preach and minister in the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, I couldn't live in the flesh. I realized that it's impossible to live in the flesh and in the Spirit at the same time. We're either living in the Spirit or we're living in the flesh because they're contrary. First Corinthians Paul says they're contrary one to the other. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and temperance and ma- mercy for which there's no law. But the works of the flesh is hatred and envy and jealousy and strife and, res- and resentment. And you can't live in the Spirit and in the flesh. Matthew chapter 6 Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15 says this, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you of your trespasses. And so forgiveness is is a decision to release a person from the obligation that has resulted because of a hurt that's done to you. Through either an action or through word. And you, you forgive that person, literally you cancel the debt of that for that person. They don't owe you nothing. They owe you absolutely nothing. The point is unity in the church will not happen if members have an unforgiving spirit. Sometimes members are hurt by other members. Sometimes members are hurt by the pastor because of something done or something they failed to do. Colossians three. Listen to this. Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If a man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also forgive them. And so remember that a local church is made up of imperfect members, an imperfect pastor, we all make mistakes, we all commit sin, but church unity is torn apart when members refuse to forgive, when members are too prideful, I would say, to forgive. Remember this, Christ died on the cross to forgive us, And as he's forgiven us, we have to forgive each other. A biblical church member is a unifying church member, refusing to gossip and willing to forgive. A little book, good book, I am a church member. Some information came out of this book. I want to close with the invitation. that He gave an invitation last week. I shared it from this book. I want to share it this week. Listen to this, if you will. And this is an invitation. I pledge. This is a pledge. I pledge. I'll seek to be a source of unity in my church. I pledge. I will pledge this. I pledge this. As you pastor, I pledge this. I pledge to be. I, ple- I will seek to be a source of unity in my church. I know there are no perfect pastors or other church members, but neither am I. I'll not be a source of gossip or dissension. One of the greatest contributions I can make is to do all that I can in God's power to help keep the church in unity for the sake of the gospel. I pledge that. I pledge that. I pray that you will. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had just to come and look once again about a biblical church member. And so, Father, today we've, we've opened your word, and your word is true, and we're challenged, Lord, not to just be hearers of it, but doers of it. And so today, Lord, we come to you, ask you to examine our heart. And, Lord, to see if we could faithfully say that I'm a biblical church member and being a unifier in the church. I pray, Lord, for each person here, and I pray that today we've seen our responsibility to keep harmony and peace and where the church would be, as, be unified and be as one because we do have purpose and we do have a mission. And we have the commission, the great commission. And so today, I thank you for each person here. I thank you that we're connected with God. We're connected with each other. And then, Lord, today we've realized that we're an instrument of unification, Lord, in our church. We, we're unifiers. And so help us to be that. And help us to, to develop a, um, a reputation, perhaps, that uh, we just don't gossip here. Help us to take on a, a um, perhaps a, a, a pledge today that we don't talk about each other, that we talk to each other. And help that be our desire as a church here. Thank you for what you've done in the past over the years, the unification this church has had. And, and Lord, it's, it's, been in, it's been, so many have been unifiers here. And so we thank you for that. And we pray now that during this invitation, you speak to our hearts about being what we need to be as a member of the body here at this church. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name, amen.